seamlessly sewn cradle conclusions, safe and sanitized solutions, out of context texts for every question, all lamenting psalms put beyond use in suits and ties and hats and Sunday smiles. For God's sake, give us some reality. 14 million people desperate for some food in Yemen. Thousands of Central American refugees heading for the American border. Tensions threatening war on the Ukraine-Russian border. Alaskans coming to terms with an earthquake in Anchorage. The UK in turmoil over Brexit, backstops and inertia at Stormont. For God's sake, give us some reality. A seasonally well-decorated stable. Freshly shard cattle and perfumed straw. A carpenter with extramural skills in midwifery. Westminster Confession singing stargazing mystics. A perfect little baby. No crying he makes. For God's sake, give us some reality. A teenage girl screams to pierce a silent night. A baby laid an infested animal stall. God, vulnerable and homeless. Death squads descending in the dawn's first light from where refugees risk their lives escaping hell. For God's sake, born into the midst of our reality. No, the baby didn't land in a lovely nativity play that we might have to they're out, aren't they? Suffer over the course of the next number of weeks. Where lovely tea towels and all kinds of other things domesticate the reality of the moment of incarnation. No, Jesus was born where there was no room for him in an inn. There was political upheaval all around him. It became worse when they found out he was born. There was violence as part of the everyday fabric of Roman oppression. There were death squads in the light of dawn. But, but in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that reality, there was a candle flame lit in the dark. God had quietly, but momentously, with a shudder, been born. I love Advent. And here we are on the first Sunday. I've been counting it down through November, which I hate with as much passion as I love December. November just. I resign every year. What is that month about? And yet I come to Advent and I'm thinking, well, we got the apocalypse over last week and the lectionary reading is more of the apocalypse. And I'm thinking, oh, it's not just that lovely, warm, perfumed straw and shard cattle, is it? No, there's still all kinds of ructions going on in the reading of lectionary this morning. 
And I think that's good because it reminds us of the reality God was born into. For God's sake, peace on earth came in the midst of struggle. So we move in this world. And actually, you can tell me if I'm right about this, but I changed the words of that uh, first poem from a few years ago when there was wars raging everywhere. And actually, uh, at Westminster, there was talk about sending troops to Syria. Now, somebody has told me just in the course of the last couple of weeks that 2019 will be the first year that the British Army will not be involved in any wars as we stand at this moment in time. So in some ways, there's a bit of good news in the midst of that. But we still have Yemen. Millions of people are needing food or actually beyond needing food and dying of hunger. All those people coming up through Central America. Earthquakes and wars and rumours of earthquakes. And there's one just in the week that I prepare in Anchorage in Alaska. And into the middle of this, we light a candle to say something's coming down. Something's happening and has happened. And we're in the waiting place. But as one of my favourite artists, Tom Petty, says... The waiting is the hardest part. The waiting is the hardest part. I threw that song away a long time ago. Um, I didn't think much about it until recently. And I'll come to the recently in a moment. But the waiting's the hardest part for those kids at the front here. Because already they've decided what they want. And there are going to be 22 days and many hours and many seconds, was it, that we were told by Aaron's countdown that it's to come. There will be anticipation and all kinds of stuff until Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, they won't be able to sleep at all. The waiting is the hardest part. But I want to think about that in another way that I don't know whether Claire broke into my... I think she hacked my computer, truthfully, in the prayer that she read earlier. Because the waiting for me um, comes from a situation I had with a friend who had a child who was ill very ill and I was in conversation with them one day and uh, they were waiting I'm not sure at what stage of the process they were waiting but he said to me the Eskimos have 50 words for snow there should be 50 words for waiting because you wait to see the doctor when you think you're not so well and then you wait for those tests to come back And then you wait to see whoever you might need to see after that. Sometimes so long, forgive me, that you tear the letter up two years later when you get the letter about what's coming next and that wasn't good news and don't do that and I won't be doing it again. But anyway, you don't want to get into my life just at this moment in time. You're waiting. And then you're waiting for the place in the hospital and then you're waiting to go into theatre and then you're waiting to find out what happens after theatre and then you're waiting to find out what the recovery might be like after theatre's over and what the chances are. It's waiting, 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 waiting. There should be 50 words for waiting, my friend said. And maybe that's the case this morning because all of us probably here, as Claire brought out in her prayer, are probably waiting for something. 
And the waiting's the hardest part. And all the waitings might be different. And maybe there should be a word for all of them. What are we waiting on? And Jesus, when he's asked about these signs, to me it's all a wee bit ambiguous. There's nothing he kind of says that hasn't happened before, isn't happening around him, and isn't going to happen a wee bit in the future. And I think there's something deeper that he's trying to say rather than about, you know, look out for all these people moving as refugees or earthquakes in Alaska or famines wherever. I think there's something deeper going on in what Jesus is trying to talk about. And he's trying to tell us not what signs to be waiting for, but who we would be as we wait. What would the characteristics of our signs be? What would the characteristics of our waiting be? What would the characteristics of our waiting be? When you see these things happening, you know the kingdom is near. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and anxieties of life. And that day will close in suddenly like a trap. Be always on the watch and pray. Stand up and lift up your heads. Jesus is giving us a few clues here as he talks about his next coming that would help us a lot not only as we wait in Advent but in all the waiting that happens all year round in our lives what are our priorities going to be what are the values we have going to be what's the intentionality of our lives because I think we could get into a situation of hopelessness very quickly there could be a sense of hopelessness in Yemen there could be a sense of hopelessness in Central America there can be a sense of hopelessness if you go home and your house is down some hole that the earth has just opened up. There can be a sense of hopelessness unless we have some intentionality about what to hope in, what to hope for, and how to respond to the events around us. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to give. And ultimately what I think he's trying to say is bring your hope into the waiting. As you wait, be people of hope. Hope. Hope for Stormont. Just hope that this little country might move on. And let's all say that it's not 1993 or 1992. We have moved on. There is a little flicker of hope. But we need hope. And in some of the conversations I get myself somehow into, time and time again, people say, the only thing you can do for us, Steve, is bring hope into the situation. Bring us some hope. Breathe some hope into the scenario. Well, guys, that's our job. Hope is one of our words. Advent tells us that for the Christian community, when we light these candles, we are lighting candles because we are a hopeful people. We are hopeful of what might come and we are hopeful of who might be with us in the midst of it that our redemption, the kingdom of God is near. We are the people of hope. And when it comes to the scenarios going on in our little part of Ireland or even across in the UK or that's not the UK because we're part of the UK, that Great Britain thing or even in the Republic of Ireland down there or even wider in Europe or whatever it is going on that as Claire again said in our prayers that you want to shout and scream about. We are the people in the conversations we have this week. Whether it's over a coffee table, 
whether it's in the workplace, whether it's with family, wherever it is, we are the people that have an intentionality towards hope and we are the ones who need to breathe hope. I did a blog a while back, what I did yesterday, I don't always do it, in fact I never have done it before, but I pressed hope into my blog to see if I've ever said anything in hope that I might find worth reading myself. And I, I, I did a blog about a cluttered Fitzroy event once, and Alex Keane, who is on TV quite a bit, Alex, I, I find Alex fascinating, ever since he was the guy in the BP across from Daravolgi way back in the day who used to come in every day with strange name tags. That's all he was to me. And then suddenly I saw him on the television and doing things in the Belfast Telegraph. And I thought, that's up in the world from selling me petrol at the BP across from Daravolgi Hall. But Alex came on after I'd written my blog and he said, you can't create hope, but you can encourage the circumstance for its natural growth. Mostly we don't. Now I'd like to argue with the first bit because I think we have hope. We've lit the candle to set. And I think the way we take our hope is what he says next. You can encourage the circumstances for its natural growth. When Ken and Jerry and Father Alec and members of Fitzroy and Clonard were opening Parlour 4 for John Hume and Jerry Adams to have those first talks, what were they doing? They were setting a, a circumstance, an environment where hope might be grown. In the hopelessness of the 14 days of 1988, (coughs) Father Alec Reed went to those funerals in order to create circumstances for hope. So when he gave the kiss of death to those British corporals who were shot and killed in that most brutal of ways in the Falls Road that March day in 1988, when he gave them the kiss of life and their blood was on his face, he had in his pocket with blood on the envelope the conditions that the IRA would go into talks with John Hume. He created, he created an environment of hope that we reap the benefit of today. We are the hope builders. June Pat prayed upstairs in the Sunday, first Sunday of the month prayer meeting that we would be representatives of hope. I think she's cracked into my sermon page as well. (coughs) That's what we are. As we light this candle, what we need to realize is that we are the community, (coughs) excuse me, that brings hope into schools in Uganda where they didn't have a school. Then they had a school in this rundown place we brought hope I remember saying the first time I saw the school I saw hope in block and roof and paint Mary Elena she goes to Colombia to bring some hope to people that are hopeless and the hope in her own hearts and minds in the waiting While we're waiting, whether that's waiting for relationships to be restored, whether that's waiting for results or the impact of medicine or operation or whatever else, we are the hope believers. We are the hope breathers. We are the hope builders, the representatives of hope.
particles of light across the city. I came up with this one just yesterday afternoon that we could be hope star sprinklers. And I thought, that's terrible. But I said it anyway. I don't want us to catch that phrase. Particles of light's great. That's Bruce Coburn's line. Hope star sprinklers, that's my line. You want to get rid of that. But what I want us maybe to do this week is to see this flicker of a candle, to see this little flicker of light as hope in a dark world and realize that we are those flickers of candles going out the doors, back into family bleakness, street darkness, business struggles, homelessness on the streets, no stormant, Brexit backstops, refugees, all of us called to be just flickers of light. I hooked out my AIDS ribbon today. And I want to tell you why I wear it today. Yes, it was World AIDS Day yesterday. And I used to wear this all the time. But in 2004, when we were in South Africa, we went to see some HIV AIDS projects for the first time that year. And it was a link through Christian Aid. And uh, when we left them on the last, the last day that we'd been with the project, somebody said, what can we do about it? It was madness in South Africa at the time. We, were, uh, we went to a church in Gugaletu where as you drove in, you could see they would put up another little tented area where somebody else was having a funeral. Instead of a children's talk, they had a AIDS testimony every single Sunday. People were dying all around, orphans were being left, and we were making a minimal flicker of candlelight into this for a week or a day or an afternoon. We said to the woman, what can we do? What can we do about it? The hopelessness of it, what on earth can we do about it? And she said two things that I remember. She might have said three, maybe Mark Drennan remember another one if he was there. She said, pray for us and always wear a ribbon. Always wear a ribbon. She said, when people with HIV see that ribbon, you have no idea what it does in the depth of their hearts and souls and being. (laughs) Guys, I'm not saying that there's a flicker of a candle here and you have to get onto the Falls Road like Father Alec and try and breathe life into dead soldiers and build a priest process. I'm not telling you that. But you can all wear a ribbon. Now, I'm not talking about that as we're all going to wear a ribbon. I'm saying, what is the tiniest little thing? The tiniest little thing that we could do in the course of this week that would bring hope to a world waiting for the kingdom to come? What is the very tiniest little thing that we can do? Because all of us can be the flicker of that candle. The waiting is the hardest part for so many people around us. We are the hope breathers, the hope representatives, the hope builders. Jesus tells us to live with intentionality through all the darkness because the kingdom is near. And the kingdom is near when I see it in each of you breathing hope. Let's pray together.
Lord, as we wait to remember that incarnation, the Word made flesh to dwell among us, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, the one who had the political leaders of the day scrambling to get rid of him because they knew that this meant social, political, justice, change, transformation. Lord, we, over these next few weeks, wait patiently to celebrate that event. But Jesus also told us to wait for the kingdom to come in its fullness. But as we thought about last week, we need to be getting ready for that freedom, that fullness before it comes. So you call us in the midst of all the darkness. You call us in the midst of apocalypse. You call us in the midst of hopelessness to be little flickers of candles of hope. Lord, we can all do something. And it might be the little something we do this week that brings hope into someone's waiting. That brings hope into our waiting. Lord, send us out as flickering candle flames into all the dark corners we might meet this week. Help us to stand up, lift our heads, to be prayerful and watching, to be careful how we live, to be hope builders. We ask it in your name. Amen.